Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Better Call Saul Season 5. Before we do that, Buddy, I want to show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. But we also like to talk about what I have called the best television show uh, on TV right now, right? If, if somebody, gun to my head, says... What's the best show on television? The answer is Better Call Saul. And season five doesn't disappoint. Um, in fact, it holds up that title extremely well, I would say. Uh, covering uh, all of the, the the latest adventures of Kim and Jimmy and Mike and Gus. Uh so yeah, that's that's what we're talking about today. I like, I almost wanted to just jump right into it, but like this is a re- this is a real spoiler one where I wouldn't want anybody to get any spoilers. True. Yeah, I will agree with Buddy to the extent that it is still good and worth watching. Right. Like, I don't like, and that's not to, to downplay anything. It's just like it could be the best television show on television right now, but I don't really watch much television, so that's kind of like a vacuous statement for me. You know, it is one number one out of one for me in terms of current television. So take that for what you will. But it is very good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's your spoiler warning for season five and probably all the previous seasons too, and probably Breaking Bad and maybe El Camino. So you know, anything. In... I feel like El Camino doesn't really get hit on. Uh, yeah, as I much mean, as, it as doesn't. Much as the other stuff does. Of course, but like, you know, we're, you know, I figure anything in the Breaking Bad universe is fair game, right? Or in, yeah, in the, yeah, in the Vince sure. Gilligan verse, they, they, I guess you can't call it the Gilligan verse because uh, that includes like, like that, that might the be because it's Gilligan's Island. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, um, that would be, that would be uh, hilarious though if this somehow was in the same, you know, like the same universe as Gilligan's Island. You know, we just find out that, like, you know, however many years ago there. Never mind. This is a dumb tangent. Let, let's get to the. Let's get so to, let, yeah, let's get to the meat of it. So season five covers a couple of different, you know, like a couple of different things. Jimmy finds himself embroiled with uh, he like he really starts in on his uh, lawyering for uh, hardened criminals. In by the way, what I think is probably my favorite, just like kind of uh like hedonistic moment of the show in episode two the beginning of episode two there's like the montage of the 50 percent off kids i oh i loved it that was like that might be like just my favorite part of the show even if it's not like the best high drama or acting or whatever it's just so, it was just so great um then later on, you know, like, he, he really gets tied up into the mob stuff with Ignacio, with uh, Lalo, and, of course, um, Mike and Gus. Uh, Mike and Gus also reconcile and come to work with one another and uh, and really put their targets onto Lalo. Uh, you even get a little bit, there's like a tiny little bit of backstory in there on uh, on Gus and his interactions with the German guy that that's like a neat little you know it's like just extra just in case a little backstory for you uh and then of course there is Kim who starts the season working for Schweikart and Coakley for Rich Schweikart one of my favorite low-level characters of the series and Mesa Verde and her kind of growing uh unrest 
at that lot in life and the decisions that Jimmy forces her into, which ultimately ends up in the two of them getting married and she and her and she reveals herself to uh to to the cartel in a way that adds her ominously to the game but yeah yeah uh so uh you was there anything in particular you 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 wanted to go over at at first because so i feel like the narrative spine if if I, i think the narrative spine of this is kim right um in, in sort of the way that you can kind of track Jimmy's progression in other seasons as a reflection of Chuck. So, like, for instance, in season three, you can kind of see that, like, Chuck and Jimmy have this yin-yang relationship where when Chuck is being successful, Jimmy is kind of on the outs, but then Jimmy flips the tables and ultimately, you know, like, Chuck kills himself, right? Um the same sort of thing is happening here in season three, but it's a, it's not quite as destructive because at, at the end of the day, Jimmy and Kim are on the same side. They're co-op players in a way, right? Um, and it is the reflection of Kim's behavior in episode 10 versus her reflection of her behavior in episode one. Or the, her reflection of his behavior in episode 10 versus her reflection of his behavior in episode 1 that's, like, the interesting piece, right? Because, like, in episode 1, she lays it out very clearly, like, Jimmy, are you kidding? Do not give people, like, a 50% off coupon. That's legally dubious, right? You could be breaking the law by encouraging people to commit crimes because they're going to get a deal out of you for it or whatever. Jimmy does it anyway, and he tells her about it, but it's a very quiet moment, right? Where she just kind of accepts it and moves on, in a way. Um, And that was, like, my first indication. I was like, whoa, that's different. Normally, Kim, like, exerts this pushback at at those kinds of positions. But this time, she just didn't. She just kind of, like I said, she just kind of moved on. Then, of course, in the middle of the season, the, uh, the interaction between Jimmy and... Kim reaches a fever pitch in the episode titled Wexler versus Goodman or Wexler versus McGill, whatever, um, where they are collectively running a con on Mesa Verde on specifically Kevin of Mesa Verde. Right. And she tells Jimmy to call the con off and he says no. And then he pulls it off anyway, using her surprise and anger to further solidify the success of the con, which was like crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think the important thing here is that he 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 tells her okay that he's going to pull the, he's going to stop the con, but then he runs it anyway, right? Like that's why she's surprised because he he says right, so. and then he says that con made it more that surprise made it more believable. We're gonna get away with it better now because you were legitimately surprised and enraged at my behavior, right? Um, and then finally, at the very tail end of the episode, right, Jimmy has gone down the bad choice road, um, and almost died in the New Mexico desert with Lalo's $7 million to get him bail. Um, and, uh, Kim not only saves him with just the most intense lawyer, lawyering of anyone's life, right, but then she also sort of doubles down on his own ethics to him. 
right? Where she talks about how destroying Howard and his reputation will allow them to do more good. And it's kind of like the ultimate, right? Like the ends justifies the means ethos that Jimmy has been working with made manifest by playing out this scenario where, where, well, you know, if we ruin Howard, we can get that, you know, we can get that money from uh, Sandpiper. Uh, Sandpiper and we can invest that into good things, into pro bono legal work, into, you know, X, Y, and Z kind of a thing. And she hits him with the same finger guns that he hit her with at the end of season four. Now, there is a lot of discussion, and I want to, like, preempt this in a way, that says that Kim herself is running a con and that this is a last-ditch moment, in a way, of her trying to say, Jimmy, you're in too deep, and the only way I can show you that is by being the person doing the risky, dangerous thing and you have to pull me out of it rather than the other way around, right? She's trying to kind of, like, force a role reversal on him, which I think is a sound theory, but one I don't agree with. I think this is a true reflection of Kim's change at the result of Jimmy's more or less corrupting influence. Yeah, I, I think... I think I buy that, right? Because it's she's been she's been slowly slipping through the entire uh, series, right? Like been, mm-hmm. been kind of going down this path, um, in, in turning into in, into somebody who is less like more willing to cut corners to to reach better ends, essentially. Um, and uh, this, this is a little bit surprising to me because, or not surprising, it's like at the end of the day, Jimmy doesn't like doing things that ultimately hurt good people, right? Like, this this is why he, he, he canceled his first con to get Sandpiper, um, to get Sandpiper to pay out because the, uh, cause the, the senior citizen that, that he had, that, that was going to, you know, that was the, the primary, um, primary, uh, primary person in, in the, in the Sandpiper case, she, her, her social life is being destroyed over it. So, um, so he, he went and, and took that back and i guess he hates he hates howard enough to do that but that also seems like it seemed like he wasn't quite with it until until she pushed for it i don't don't know what's exactly what's happening there because like i i think i think the difference here is like jimmy always does it for like jimmy does it for the thrill and for like maybe for like you know the 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 material benefit right like for himself mm-hmm. whereas kim is motivated by this kind of like ideal like this greater good ideal right like that like you know we can use this to do good in the world and like that's like kind of more dangerous right like in in kind of like the you know the, the more universal sense right like you you can get people to go a lot further if you if they think they're going they're doing it in the service of some greater ideal and, and maybe that's what they're going for right like you know in your zeal to do something good you're willing to do some truly awful stuff but uh um uh, and she has no reason to like be a bastard to, to howard either right like like you know jimmy arguably has like ha- has a reason to be like uh, like has, has like some reason to, to despise howard and i don't think it's super well founded but i at least get that Whereas, uh, whereas Kim, right? Like he's only ever been nice to her. He like, you know, like, like, like she said, Howard or Hamlin, Hamlin McGill paid for her, for her law school, right? Like she has no reason to do this 
to him other than whatever abstract ideal she thinks she can get by getting the sandpiper money, which isn't even hers. Real. I mean, I guess it is with the marriage thing. Um, I don't know. That would also be like a weird, very long-term con where she's married him so that when they get the payout, she can divorce him and like get half of the money. But that, that would be... is a, that is a fan theory. So, uh, so, okay. So we'll talk about some of the season six stuff later, but that is a fan theory. Really? Uh, yeah about like kind of the resolution to all this in a way anyway um uh my thing really just comes down to that moment where jimmy reveals that he's doing the con on kevin and kim is like i cannot believe it because i do think that that episode is really well titled it is quite literally like goodman versus wexler right and she loses and i think that is the thing that ultimately like changes her mind in a way because i i think she just hates that feeling of losing or like not being good enough or not being you know and so her adoption of jimmy's sort of like technique in the end is a kind of well if you can't beat him join him moment in a way which is something that like you know charles obviously would never do this right but for kim because and like kim is very motivated by uh you know sort of uh, like that kind of success and um and like almost ego like she 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 is egotistical in a kind of normal way not in like a walter white ambition you know destructive way but she thinks highly of herself she has a good understanding of her own skills she's confident in our ability to do things right like she constantly does this thing where she looks at problems and she solves them by putting in the work right by putting in the hours to get the thing done and that she can brute force it and fix that problem if she puts in the work right and i think that jimmy's natural sort of talent for kind of sleazy victory is sort of showing her that in order to continue to uphold that ego in a way she will also sort of have to adopt that sleazy victory because he is in the end correct in that instance the con works they pull it off and the only person who is and like and she is a victim of it because she was pulling the plug on it too soon like before it would before it was ready to go do you know what i mean like she got that cold feet he pushed her through it and it worked and he was right about that and i think she hates that feeling of being wrong do you know what i mean I think so. I, I I think I get that. Yeah, yeah. I also think that she chases that feeling of not being wrong in general, right? Like, so for instance, I think in general you can motivate, you can talk about how their relationship works just by the idea that Kim is willing to double down on Jimmy because she never wants to be wrong about him, right? And like the more time we see, the more we see that sort of like Chuck's predictions about Jimmy are correct, right? That his heart's in the good place and that he does these things and he has this big show of remorse about it or whatever, but he's just like, he constantly does shitty things to, to fulfill his aims. It's like, and it it is like an addiction. He's like an alcoholic that refuses to kind of like acknowledge a problem, right? Kim can't ever except that that is the truth about Jimmy because then she will have been wrong to have backed him over and over and over again, right? Throughout the show's history, but like her life in like diegetically. Okay. I think, I think I, I, uh, I, I buy that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I can go with that. 
This is um, part of what I really enjoy about this show uh, is like how good Kim is. Um, there's a lot of talk on, on on forums talking about how Kim is the better version of Skylar, which I think is ultimately pretty unfair uh, to Skylar. Um, but I do think that Kim, like Kim's character, is like really really fascinating. Uh, and there's just, like, so much going on that I'm, like, super interested to dig into, like, at any individual moment. Plus, I also just think that Rhea Seward is a good actor, or Rhea, maybe. I don't actually know how to pronounce that name. Um, she really kills it with, like, uh, with her performance, I would say. Yeah, no, I I, 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 I can buy that. Um, I'm just trying to think how much, like, how much I agree with this, like, you know, w- like, win at any cost type point because i like i see your point and, and that like makes sense to me and kind of like uh i'm like a you know like an like a just kind of like a how do i want to call it it's like an academic level but i didn't really feel that while i was watching the show like i, I didn't pick up on any oh, of that oh i see what you're saying yeah like 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 it's not like the show is is shoving your face right like or you know it's not like like part of the the message of the show it seems like Part of the explicit message of the show is that she she hates being wrong, right? Like they, like you you can frame moments to to make that appear to be the case. I don't think that's the case. Um, so so I I I, I get that, but it just seems uh it, it just feels a little weird. But uh, but 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 so I, I, I I will say that I I see where you're coming from because like I also want to say that this is like a conclusion I made after the fact in a way, right? Like while I was watching, I wasn't really thinking about this stuff. I was more or less kind of absorbed in the moment and I didn't see where, and I didn't know like know where it was going. But when episode 10 airs and it ends, in a certain sense, anticlimactically, right? You know, you have all this drama with Lalo and Nacho and tension and, you know, Nacho is now in Lalo's estate in, you know, whatever... I don't even remember where they're where they're from. Um, but, uh, you know, and then there's this, like, attack by these, like, paramilitary guys uh, and all of that stuff. And so, and to end the season on a bedroom conversation of just sort of, you know, wondering about what might happen if they went after Howard in a way to, like, get that Sandpiper money to do some good in, like, the legal community with it or whatever. Um that like that see if i if i were to say it that way to somebody who doesn't understand how to, how like the season ends i feel like they would be like what like what a crazy anticlimax but like in that moment is sort of when i was like oh my god i see it right like i i understand where they're where they're coming from and what they're and what they're going to which is also a little bit of part of why i mean the truth is maybe kim is trying to like pull this con thing or whatever i don't think that's the case i think she is being earnest um but that you know, like part of that is just that, like, I think that moment reads better if it's earnest. I guess. Yeah. No, I I I, I agree with you. Um, I'm just maybe not convinced of, of 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 the particular motivation, but I don't have a better one to to throw in. Um, I've kind of been like seeing this through through the 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 lens, essentially the same lens that 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 Jesse had with um. Why can't I remember the character? The, the character that he that he screwed up in uh, like season two or three of Breaking Bad, the the girl Jane, that's her name. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I, I kind of have been implicitly drawing the parallels there that like like Kim is kind of like Jimmy's Jane in that like in that like he's 
Like he he he's kind of the poison that corrupts her because I you know there has to be a reason there there has to be a an explanation for why she isn't in Breaking Bad somehow and uh, um and again because be, be, because um I, I'm seeing the, like you know I, I'm seeing that kind of like direct character parallel I'm I'm assuming it's going to, like she's going to die somehow it's going to be Jimmy's fault right um but uh, that's not necessarily the case it could be something else. Yeah, like, I think, uh, in a certain sense, I think that that parallel still holds true. And I think that that is correct. I just, for, I think the mechanics of the poison, the, it, I'm sort of talking about the mechanics of the poison rather, rather than anything else, right? Like, I do think that that corruptive effect is happening. But it is also, in a certain sense, it's a part of, like, her own character as it is his, right? Like, she is an active agent in the story, and she is making real and kind of comprehensible um decisions which is one of the things that i think places her in a different kind of category than some other characters uh who who, like like jane doesn't make a ton of like active decisions um compared to uh compared to kim like kim has a lot of opportunities here to back off to get out right but instead she recommits and she reinvests over and over again i think it is part of that drive to not be wrong about jimmy right um but at the end of the day, right, it is legitimately Jimmy's corrupting influence that is causing this, right? Like, could you imagine a season two Kim, right, who is deathly worried and afraid about Jimmy fabricating evidence to, you know, um, to get the to get the Mesa Verde account? She says that this kind of thing can never happen again. You know, she says that it's terrible. She's explicitly, you know, condemning his behavior. And now in season five, she's going and meeting with Lalo in prison or whatever. And she's like more and she's backing Jimmy up as he gets deeper and deeper into, you know, work with the cartel. Right. Uh, She's employing his own tactics to her benefits. Like that change has certainly happened over the course of the uh, over the course of the series. And it's just like, ah, so good. I also yeah. think part of the part of what makes that engaging is that that's like um it doesn't feel like uh it doesn't feel like uh you know like a trophy or like an object in a way right like she isn't some good that has been acted upon she is another character who is inf- interacting with another character and kind yeah. of has her own uh sort of psychosis surrounding it which is not I mean, obviously, I think Jane is a fine character or whatever, but she's kind of a prop in Jesse's story in a way. Yeah, and she's definitely a smaller character, regardless. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the only the only other thing I would I would think about from 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 Kim's perspective in particular is is just kind of she's she's got this journey from like, you know, like, uh, uh, from like basically down this public defender route where she. She she keeps making choices that make it easier for her to pick up these public defender ca- cases, um, but she doesn't seem to want to just like be a public defender. Um, I guess because it doesn't pay a lot, right? Like that's you know that's uh, that, that like the 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 you know the the kind of court officer or the court lawyers are always kind of like shit on like. I, I want to say the guy's name is Ned. Like the he's a prosecutor, but he's always just kind yeah, of yeah. Like, he's the prosecutor that Jimmy always plies with, uh, like food. food. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but like that, like I, I guess that's. 
I guess it's like another part of her character, right? These kind of like want to be like super successful, but also just like do meaningful work, right? Like, I guess she's willing to cheat on the success part. I guess that that makes some more sense to me, right? Because like first she goes for Mesa Verde, and then she gives up Mesa. Ver- then she like brings Mesa Verde to Schweikert and Coakley, and then she gives up Schweikert and Coakley and gives them Mesa Verde in the hopes that she can, um, she can like live off of the, I the the the. I'm guessing live off of the the sandpiper payout, which I think lends lends a little bit more credence to the to the divorce theory. I guess um, I haven't read any theory, so I'm just kind of like running off the top of my head with this. Yeah. So the theory is that she runs away with Lalo. Is that she leaves and she, she runs away she with of, Lalo? Yeah. The, I, this is why it's a theory. The I, so okay. So here's the core the core kind of conceit. Obviously, she's not in season six of, or she's not in Breaking Bad at all. And also, like, Saul in Breaking Bad is much more of a shithead than Jimmy is here, right? Like, he is so much more explicit about being a terrible person in Breaking Bad. So the expectation is that something happens with, like, him and, uh, something happens with him and Kim that kind of, like, breaks him finally and triumphantly lands him in that sort of like Saul Goodman as we know him in Breaking Bad place right um where he's talking about getting like hand jobs from like time masseuses and shit um the everyone thinks Kim is gonna die right Kim dies and is a you know is this he gets Kim killed and that guilt is the thing that like breaks him but that's like then there are the people who are like no that's too obvious it's got to be something crazier right so the fan theory is that Kim because also it does not seem like you know Saul has sandpiper money in Breaking Bad right so that sandpiper money that he is gonna get hypothetically speaking also has to go somewhere so the idea is that they are married she divorces him in her own con or whatever and like runs away with lalo to mexico where they're never seen again um and that's that's the that's the thing i i don't subscribe to this i'm just reporting what i read and on reddit (laughs) yeah no because like the running away with lalo makes no sense to me right like i could get like the divorces him and like takes the money to start her own practice that would make sense to me um the other part of this too is that like the like the jimmy like jimmy doesn't seem to have sandpaper money in breaking bad he might right like it's not so much money that like you can afford to never work again right it's like a million bucks which is a lot of money but it's not like that much money right um and he's also like already like he and he he should be also bringing in like large amounts of money from his consultancy right like from his his job like i don't think we see enough of jimmy in breaking bad to like really make a strong claim on uh make a strong claim on on like how well he is doing there right like he obviously has enough money to pay to be extracted and then pay to be extracted a second time at double cost right yeah um which is which is interesting in its its own right, right? Like I, I like my my vision of Jimmy from Breaking Bad is he's kind of like another one of like he's you know smaller than Gus, but like he's another one of these big players that just like is is addicted to the game, right? In in that same way, and so it doesn't matter how successful he is, he's still going to keep playing the game. Um, but uh, I do like I I'm, I I think you're right that something has to happen with Kim for it to be like. 
the way the way that that is like i could also see there being like some sort of twist where like she's like 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 he has to spend the money to like get her out or something um i don't know um I also am very interested to see if they do, do you know if they if they said they're going to do more on the future stuff cuz like obviously there's this like very small storyline that happens in like you know seasonal increments on the on the you know on, in the black and white front end. Um, yeah, people expect that that is its own like little mini vignette that's going to end in season 6 at some point, right? You know, wh- wh- however that looks, um it's going to like it is going to conclude for sure. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I would expect it to conclude, too, but, like, I don't think it's going to ex- conclude at, like, season six, episode one. Like, that, that like, that seems like... No, a... I think it's going to conclude season six, episode ten. You're, yeah. You'll get kind of the final, whatever, the final bit of the, the Better Call Saul, Saul storyline, whatever that looks like. Uh, the thing I think is going to happen is I think Jimmy is going to have to get Kim killed. I think he's going to call, essentially, Mike um cuz it's kind of like the highest drama to have Kim assassinated for whatever reason right she breaks she's going to go to the cops she's going to ruin you know he's going to go to jail forever whatever and that's the that's that low moment is when he's like oh my god i i'm going to i'm going to kill her um that's my personal that's my personal theory um I would I wouldn't say anything is like well supported at this moment, but that's a fairly popular one. As soon as I read that, I was like, you know, that's correct. That's a fair that's a fair reading of probably something that could happen, right? Um, that seems a little out there to me. Like I, I don't think like I don't think he has her killed. Like that would be a real low moment, but I think that's a little bit far for him to fall from there, right? Right? Like. I don't think Jimmy can do that to himself, if that makes sense, right? Like, maybe he would do that after a betrayal by Kim, like, maybe, but, like, that still seems to be a little bit far to me. That's um, fair. Um, I, ex- like, my my base expectation is that, like, you know, the thing that's referenced in Breaking Bad, which is the thing with, with Nacho, right? Like, it ends up being kind mm. of like this, this, like, all-encompassing event that kind of like resolves the whole plot and costs him a bunch of money or something like that like i don't have any specific ideas but like you know like like it's not that like nacho and kim run off but it's not like they're doing it against jimmy it's like jimmy like this is the plan they've come up with to get like everybody out safe right like yeah 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 um or something like that um that or like I, i could see like jimmy hiring mike for a fake hit on kim so everything looks kosher or whatever um, but I think that's a good, good, good opportunity to kind of transition because we've talked about Jimmy and Kim to the other half, which is like Mike and Nacho. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I love Na- Nacho. Uh, I've always liked Michael Mondo. Michael Mondo is famous. Uh, like his big break was in Far Cry Three. He was that like main villain that everybody loved. I can't remember his name, but he's like the crazy guy, right? And he did this like motion capture performance for it, which is how he got this job on Breaking Bad, or I'm sorry, on Better Call Saul. And at first, like you know, obviously Nacho is a fairly minor player. He's not doing a ton. He's mostly just kind of like a, a, a tough guy. But I feel like Nacho has really grown into something. I want to say special, um, but just like he, like really, what a great character Nacho has has turned out to be, and he sort of follows the same kind of um, if it's something about the Breaking Bad uh, universe that I find really compelling. I guess is sort of it's very like Greek tragedy in that like 
You know, I've talked about how the show is exceptional people being exceptional, right? Like, watching clever people be clever or whatever. And part of that is that these people have, like, their different sort of, like, strengths and weaknesses. And in Greek tragedy, right, it is your greatest strength that is also, like, your weakness, right? Like, your hubris that will get you killed or whatever. And that happens time and again, right? With Walt, it's in his ambition, right? With Gus, it's that, like, vengeance for the Salamancas and stuff like that. Um, and for Nacho, it is his sort of uh it's his desire to keep his dad safe but his dad is only more and more threatened over the course of the show because he is he is diving deeper into the cartel and kind of like unwilling to sort of like face the consequences that 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 has on his family or whatever um but anyway yeah nacho does some really cool shit like i really love the um the like the the sort of slums scene where they're like watching their their stash house get raided and nacho realizes that this is a moment that he can prove himself to lalo and he you know he like outwits the cops and does all this this cool stuff like that's a great scene of sort of tension um obviously his relationship with Gus is also just completely full of tension where Gus is right. Like Gus is more evil, I think in better call Saul than he is in breaking bad. Oh, absolutely. Um, right. And there are some, yeah. And there are some like real moments in here, um, that like really, you know, uh, exemplify that. Like, so for instance, one of the things that Mike tries to get Lalo or tries to get Nacho out, he's like, you, we need to let Nacho go. And Gus is like, Nacho's a useful asset. We're going to use him. Right. And Mike tells Gus, Fear is not an effective motivator um, to like reference, you know, obviously uh, the the handling of Nacho's dad as a as a way to keep him in line. Um, that is something that Gus quotes to Mike when Mike asks why Gus doesn't just force Walt to do what he wants at gunpoint in Breaking Bad. And it's like it's kind of nice to see that sort of moment. Right. Like reverse back yeah because like the first time it's just a it's just a it's just a normal moment but now you can kind of see that like this is a moment where sort of a friend is telling another friend oh ho but you once taught me this lesson let me repeat that lesson back to you which is like which is kind of nice because it's kind of one of the only positive relationships we ever see in better call Saul, right where i mean obviously mike is descending further and further into kind of his own kind of criminal fixer enforcer sort of self um but that also he reflects his kind of innate virtue reflects back up to Gus uh, is neat and really cool. Yeah, um, yeah. So in terms of in terms of my, my thoughts about Nacho, um, like he like I, I think I agree with you, right? Like I, I think I think the his the stuff with his father is the primary motivating factor, which is like. Like, I like how they, like, go through the process of, like, showing you that he has this giant house and he has these women, like, crawling all over him. Um, and he always looks super unfazed. And, uh... Oh, yeah, he's miserable. Yeah. And then, like, his dad comes and his, like, dad doesn't approve. And, like, he's, like, you know, and he's just, like, gutted by it, right? Like, mm-hmm. um... Uh, which is... Which, which you know, I, I I think you got a pretty spot on right there, right? Like he, he just wants he just wants dad dad to respect him, right? Like, uh, um, and uh, but yeah, I'm I mean I am 
I am like ninety nine percent sure that that uh, his dad's dead, right? Like his dad will die oh, yeah. by the end of the series, right? Like that's... I'm pretty sure. So I'm pretty sure that the whole thing with Nacho blows up in Gus's face, which is part of what teaches him that lesson, right? That like fear is not an effective motivator. Whether that's like Nacho betraying Gus in some variety or fashion, or you know, like the tension breaks Nacho in a way where he's just like kind of not able to perform in the way that like Gus wants him, right? But um. I think that, like, the the part of that, like, fear is not an effective motivator thing is a setup that has yet to be paid off, but you can tell is going to be paid off. Especially because, like, Lalo pretty clearly, implicitly understands that Nacho set him up. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, like, if I had to guess, like, episode one is Lalo killing Nacho's father, right? Like, or sometime very early in the season, that's kind of, like an inciting incident that pushes a lot of the plot forward. Um, yeah. Uh, do you have, do you have any guesses as to what the, what the nacho incident from breaking bad is? No, see, it's what I, I feel like I, I would never be able to guess this thing. I imagine it has to be a really complex, you know, intricate plot in the same way that they like ran the, the con right. to get Huel off or in the same way that they ran the con, uh, to get, uh, whatever the guy's name is like that, that Mesa Verde was trying to buy out, right? Like, nobody would have been able to predict that in season four. Well, uh, so that's a little unfair because we don't know about him in season four. Season five, episode one, introduces us to this problem about the call center. Um, but, you know, the, the the overall point stands, I would say, um, which is that um, we don't see... Uh, we we shouldn't be able to predict that, and I don't think anybody is gonna like nail that on on its head. Oh, sure, but, but like I don't think you're gonna nail like the 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 like you know like the whole like the, the whole thing, but you might be able to nail like the 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 generalities, right? Like how so do we my solve? Go on, sorry. Yes, is yeah. So in a general sense, I think that I agree with you. Nacho is going to lose his dad. And he's going to want vengeance on Lalo for it. And he's going to effectively go to Jimmy for that because Gus will deny him. Right. Um, what will happen is Nacho will be burned in a sense by what, by, you know, being, being found out by his dad dying and Gus will be in this position of you are no longer useful to me. Therefore, why should I care? You know, this problem solved itself. Get out of my hair. And then Nacho will work with Jimmy to do something against Lalo um, that is, like, more complex and destructive. And that'll be – do you see what I'm saying? And that'll be the thing that's like, oh, I get it. Like, this is why it was a mistake to, yeah. you know, hold that over his head. That that makes sense. My – um, like, I'm a little bit more high level than that. I assume that, like – Jimmy is going to get Lalo put in jail for for some reason, right? Like that's gonna that's actually going to be like the the big twist is that like you know Lalo is in Breaking Bad, but he's not going to be dead. He's actually just going to be locked up for like eighty years or something because like he gets found out for something. Like like with that in 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 perspective, like I could see something happening where like uh where like like it gets set up so that Lalo gets caught at like one of Gus's facilities so that Gus can like claim like that wasn't me. Right, but like he loses a bunch of product or something in the process, um, and so it hurts him. But like ultimately ends up with like with with Lalo in jail or whatever. Um, 
But that's just that 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 is my prediction, just based on like the way that Jimmy operates, right? Because Jimmy, Jimmy, like Jimmy, never like does anything himself, right? Except for the law, and uh, I can't imagine why he would like why why he would Nacho would involve Jimmy if it wasn't something law based, right? No, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, one hundred percent, that it's good. It's going to be something kind of like that. Um... Yeah, I mean, part of what makes it difficult is that, like, nobody else is ever caught in the crossfire of this stuff because we know where they are in Breaking Bad, right? Tuco gets out of jail and runs the Salamanca drug trade in Albuquerque. Hector is still in the nursing home, right? Um, You know, obviously, so, like, obviously Gus's whole production and pipeline are completely protected and insulated, Um into seasons three and four of Breaking Bad, where they only get like where he gets on the bad side of the cartel, and they start fighting or you know and warring or whatever. That suggests to me that the real casualties here are going to be Lalo and Ignacio, right? And maybe you know maybe Kim. Kim Kim is obviously like up in the air. Um, I, I could also see that being like kind of like Pyrrhic victory type thing, right? Like. Like, uh, somehow, like, Kim gets disbarred out of all of this, and this is, like, her 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 fall, right? Like, you know, she pulls she pulls a comma, gets caught up with it, and so she gets disbarred, and she can't do I the think, public defender thing she wants to do. Yeah, I think if Kim doesn't die, that's what happens. She either ends up in prison herself, right? Like, she gets caught up in all of Jimmy's fraud or whatever, and, like, like it ends, and she gets taken to jail. Um, or she gets disbarred, and that's, like... You know, that's the the tragic ending is that, you know, she did all of this to get, you know, and she's good at the law and everything else, but she gets, uh, she loses her license where he doesn't. Um, and that's the, that's the thing that like drives them apart, uh, obviously. But, you know, it's, it's tough to say. Yeah, yeah. what's going to happen. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about Mike, who yeah. also obviously makes a big, a big splash, a big impact. Um, I really enjoyed Mike's early interactions in the in the season because something that i always thought was not taken seriously enough people really liked the underground story in season four of of better call saul and like mike and uh and Werner, the the german guy that he ends up shooting but i don't think anybody really understands like the momentous nature of him killing werner right which is he you know like he is this guy who has been refusing to pull the trigger all throughout the show and this is the moment where he says i was hired to do a job and that job includes killing this person and i'm willing to put my you know my willingness to complete the job trumps my willingness to harm effectively innocent people um see i i i take a slightly different view there i don't i don't think it's quite that i think it's that he is going to have to die. It should be at my hands where I know that, like, I can at least give him an easy death, right, um, rather than at the hands of, of Gus's thugs. That's the way I took it, at least. Well, oh, okay, so that's interesting. I think it is part of, I don't know, I feel like the core dichotomy for Mike is he wants to do the job. Like, he talks about not taking the money, you know, and right. he says, I was hired to do a job, I did the job, that's it. And I think he takes a lot of pride in doing the job, right? Um, and doing it right, being like the smart criminal. Um, 
But I also think that he doesn't want to hurt people, right? Like, even right. people who are nominally in the game, you know, like, Nacho points out, anybody else would have shot the truck driver when he robbed the truck. But he didn't. He just hogtied him, blindfolded him, tossed him on the side of the road, and then robbed the truck, you know, manually, effectively. Um, and I think that that matters a lot. I think that that makes a huge... I feel like that like underwrites a lot of Mike's character in this in this show. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Because like when we see him, Better Call Saul or not Better Call Saul in Breaking Bad, he's like he doesn't think twice about killing anybody in on the inside. Yeah, um, I mean even in this right, like it is the by pure happenstance that not pure happenstance, but he is tailing Jimmy as Jimmy is taking the money. And saves him with his, like, sniper fire or whatever. He kills, like, 20 dudes. You know, like... And that doesn't... That doesn't really face him in the in the same way that, like, it would have might, like, otherwise affected him, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Plus, I also just think that that stuff was, uh... I think that stuff was cool. And that stuff was awesome. It was very tense, obviously. Um, and it's funny because Bad Choice Road is basically the favorite episode. Bad Choice Road being the episode where you know, Jimmy goes to make the drop off. He's ambushed. Then him and Mike are in the desert lugging the $7 million in cash, um, you know, trying not to die. Um, and, and it is kind of the, it's just like the ride. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not even that, that episode doesn't contain a lot of really important, juicy plot or character details or beats, right? Like I think Wexler versus, mcgill or wexler versus goodman whatever is the most important episode of the of the series or of the season when it comes to these characters who they are right like themes all that other kind of stuff but bad choice road is just kind of good television (laughs) you know what i mean it's just like it's a it's a one-off in a way that uh it just tells a really compelling story sort of front to back it's kind of like the train episode actually um, which obviously I talked about being one of my favorites in the fifth season of Breaking Bad, where it's like, here's a problem, and these are the sort of the trials and tribulations that they go through trying to solve the problem. There's a little bit of setup in the beginning and a little bit of payoff in the end that will like branch out into the larger episode. But for the most part, Bad Choice Road is just about, you know, how do I get $7 million from the middle of the desert without you know back to civilization without dying of dehydration or heat stroke or whatever else and that includes drinking pee <laughs> yeah got nothing to say to that mango yeah. <laughs> i do appreciate that they didn't they, they like they only ever like implied it really never sh- showed a shot of him like like you know like I was expecting, like, kind of, like, you know, like, Jimmy stares at the bottle and then the camera cuts or whatever, but it never happens. It just kind of gets, like, like you know, set up and then, like, implied afterwards. Yeah, because um, they, they – Mike says the thing to him. He's like, you better save that or whatever. And so Jimmy pees into his own water bottle. And then they cut to him later, like five minutes later, where he's just taking swings out of it. <laughs> and you're just like – Clearly, this is a man uh, who's driven, who's driven to do the cartel's dirty work, I guess. Yeah, well, um, what, what else is there to say about, I guess, Mike? Um, I don't know, it, it felt like, 
while while he did do some stuff, it didn't feel like he did anything particularly momentous this season, if that makes sense. But like, it feels like a lot of his character development happened in the last season. And yeah. this is just him kind of like, you know, growing into the new normal, as it were. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I, I like watching him do stuff. For instance, the way that he does the thing where he like, first gets Lalo put in prison and then gets Lalo out of prison. Like that is a really great process and procedure to watch. Right. Nothing crazy is going on there. It's just, it's watching clever people be clever. Right. Like that, that thing. Um, what he's like lying about being a, a, like a PI or whatever else. Um, and then undoing all of it by giving all that information to Jimmy, um, in order to make sure that Lalo, uh, gets out because, you know, the, the needs of the cartel change dramatically or whatever from kind of, like, episode to episode. So I feel like the mo- that's mostly what, like, Mike was doing. He's also – I also feel like he's there to establish tension. For instance, Mike calling Jimmy and being like, Lalo's coming to your fucking house – put the phone on or whatever and then he gets on the building across the way and like sets up his sniper like nothing happens no shots get fired kim gets jimmy out of that with like her amazing lawyerly abilities to charismatically persuade lalo that jimmy is fine even though jimmy is clearly not fine um but like mike's presence there creates a lot of tension right like it generates that that level of tension um also, obviously, uh, the interactions between Mike and Gus kind of form this backdrop for Lalo and Nacho uh, doing... Like, there's a lot of tension innate to... In any kind of undercover story, right? But the tension innate to the, the Nacho-Lalo stuff is that, you know, like, you know that Lalo has a mole. And it's like, will he figure out that Nacho is, like, working against him yeah. or whatever? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with you on kind of the, on, on you know, like... He he definitely also seems to be like building like being there to 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 do some character work for Gus as well, right? Like I think my favorite cleverness moment is a subversion where like he's like he like decides to try and build this charger and then the the nice Mexican lady just gives him a charger. <laughs> um, oh my god, that was so yeah, that was that was great. I really well, like that whole bit in the in the hospital, like Dedicatoa Max. Um because uh first of all, it is incredibly subtle storytelling. Max is obviously, like, Gus's probably, like, homosexual lover that died in, uh, that died at Don Eladio's place in the flashback in Breaking Bad. Like, we know he, he's, he's Max. We don't know that they're gay. Um, we just assume because subtext. Um, but that the way Gus is able to get Mike back in the thick of it is with a real appeal to Mike's empathy, I thought yeah. was really nice and, like, neat. Because, like, part of... Th- this has always been my thing under- underlying Mike's character is that he is, like, a good person, right? Like, he is a virtuous person who is, like, also a criminal in the way that... Because I think he was originally designed or, like, kind of originally functions as this foil to Walt, right, in, in Breaking Bad. Um, and that kind of means that you know you don't you're not gonna be able to appeal like gus is not gonna be able to convince mike to come back for any of the other crime stuff money 
you know, power, power, that sense of domination, right? The only way that he can get Mike to get back in the game is sort of this sense of justice that he wants to, you know, that he wants to impart, uh, which I think is really great. Yeah, also, also kind of this, like, you know, well, like, you know, the end justified the means type of stuff, right? Which seems to be a running running theme of the show, right? Because, like, you know, as, as, as we find out, the community that uh, that gets that's served by essentially like Max, like the, the the Max, you know, the Max Village, right? Like they don't know anything about Gus. They are not directly tied to the drug trade, right? Like it's just a thing that Gus does. Um, um, it seems to be just because he thinks it's the right thing to do, right? Like I think this is an interesting like layer on Gus as well, right? Like Gus is evil, but it's not like like. Gus well, is, so it is the same community that heals Gus and Mike after in season four of Breaking Bad. Sure, sure, and like you know, like so th- there is that utility there. But I agree right, with you. Right, there's there's a lot of like you know like buying usefulness, right? Like you know, like we see that with the police as well in, in Breaking Bad, right? Like um, there are these things that he does, but it it seems like I don't know. I guess you could make the argument that everything he does that like is outwardly good does have an ulterior motive, right? Like he supports Gale. Um, uh, and, and, you know, like Gail's got an ulterior motive, I guess the police thing does too. And so does the, and so does the, the village, but it's also like, you could also like operate on a much more, sh- operate on a much more shoestring level than that. Um, like than any of the things he does. So it doesn't feel like, I don't know. It, it feels like there's a little bit of complexity there at least, which I think is, is interesting, right? Like, um, like Gus's ultimate downfall is, uh, is kind of like his like seething desire for revenge, um, and and that's like, and, and that's like, and but like it, 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 he's a complex character. I guess is the way is the easiest way to put it, um, and, and he's an interesting character, right? Like like a friend of the show, Monic loves to like like go on like a like like loves to reference the a man provides speech from from Breaking Bad. Oh really? Uh, yeah. In in what context? Uh, just kind of like it's like a. You know, like so, uh, it's kind of in like a, like you know, like a very powerful speech that like, like kind of like in kind of the same way that like any of like the big movie speeches like can resonate with you, right? Like you know, like oh, interesting. Uh, um, uh, you know, like like uh, like the the Matrix, any of the Matrix speeches, like why, Mister Anderson, why, like any of that kind of things, like it, like Monica puts that up there with, with some of those, um, uh, and I I find that like, uh. I think that that like is is an interesting aspect of, of Gus's character, right? Like, yeah, you know, that like, is an interesting aspect of Gus's character. Though I have very complex feelings about that speech because, like, my baseline view of that speech is that effectively Gus is appealing to Walt's kind of like sense of almost like toxic masculinity in a way, right? Like I, I have a negative view of that speech because I have a negative view of Walt and it is something that effectively motivates an evil character. Right. But I think on the surface, you know, like I, I don't think that speech is like saying you are a bad person. It just has a very negative connotation in my head because sure. it is used to motivate a bad man. You know right, what I mean? Right, right, right. But like, but like it's part of, it's, it's like the noble lie, right? Like it's, yeah, it's yeah, part, yeah, 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 I get that. Right? Like it, it is the lie that Walt tells himself because that like the, the ideal there is pure, right? Like, um, and like, you know, like the, 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 the fundamental message of Breaking Bad isn't that, that that message is wrong. It's that Walt wasn't really doing that, right? Like, Walt was lying to himself in, in order to, to justify his his uh, megalomania. Um, 
Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that's kind of like a similar thing that like gets reflected out to Gus, right? Like it's the lie that he tells himself in order to justify his like absurd, like revenge scheme, right? Like where, like, you know, he literally stops like problems from being solved so he could torture Hector Salamanca more, um, which is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pitch black evil Yeah, coming from my boy Gus. <laughs> Uh, I really want, I like, I, I'm always happy getting these, um, these kind of like Gus only things, right? Like I love the interaction that he has with the German guy, um, in where the, and like the German guy is like talking to his German fast food scientists about like, uh, like tater tots or whatever. Um, somebody pointed out on the Better Call subreddit or Better Call Saul subreddit that we will never taste the spicy curl which is that curly fry that they like invent in the show um, that like uses wing sauce or whatever. And is like spicy and we are all the poorer for it. <laughs> I really hope that becomes it this won't happen, but I really hope it becomes like a Szechuan sauce thing where like Jack in the box or whatever. It's like, Oh, you, did you see the spicy curl? Cause we're doing it. Like, and I can go out and get a spicy curl at drive through or whatever. Yeah. Like, I wonder if, like, some restaurant, like, takes a week and decides that they're, like, Hermanos Brothers Chicken for, like, a week. Or, like, you know, like, whatever group owns Bubba Gum Shrimp, Bubba Gum Shrimp Co. is, like, we we would like to acquire an, 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 or we'd like to build another brand. Let's let's go with that. Because, like, that's kind of, like, what – that would be I, really funny. Oh, my like, God. You're right. They would they, – and, you know, 100%, they would have a sort of procedure in place where if you, like, walk up to the counter – and you like order off a secret menu or whatever, they'll give you like the blue rock candy. Or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh. I'm so mad that I just thought of that because when that happens, like ten years from now, I'm gonna be like looking at my kids and being like, "Oh, that was my idea." <laughs> Go listen to the podcast. Yeah, you'll, you'll be yelling at your kids in the middle of this restaurant. And then you're going to turn to the, to the cashier and be like, give me the meth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. I've, oh, my God. <laughs> oh. But, yeah, anyway, that's season, season five of Better Call Saul. Yeah. Uh, excellent television. I don't know. Yeah. What, is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, to talk about? Now that I can think of, uh, let's move into our, our two weeks at this point, I guess. Yeah, a lot uh, has happened in our two weeks. Um, uh, so something that me and my WoW friends do is we have what's called Dutes Night. Dutes just being a, like an inside joke term for like fucking around. Um, you know, like if a bunch of us are going to get together and like run old raids and everybody's going to get like drunk and it's always on a Friday night, like late at night or whatever. That's something that we'll do on Dutes Night. Uh, but I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone recently, and something that's been happening at Dutes Nights is I will challenge people to play Hearthstone against me. I'll be like, you can play me, you can play any of my decks, because in Hearthstone you can like share one another's decks. I more or less have a complete collection. Like, not quite do I have a complete collection, but like effectively I do. Um, and uh, and we like as the night is winding down, I would just like challenge people to play me in Hearthstone, and so people would get on Hearthstone and we, and we would like play or whatever. And my thing was is that if I lost a game, I'll buy you a pack, right? Kind of like how we used to do that with League um, for like in houses for skins or whatever. Like if if you'll bet a skin, like a mystery right. skin, on the outcome of the game. Um, and uh, and so we formalized that. 
and we said, okay, this dude's night is just going to be Hearthstone. It's going to be three hours where, you know, there's no formal structure. It's just play, play people, right? Everybody sit down and play. If somebody gets out of a game, challenge them to a new game, right? And I set two rules aside. One is that the person who wins the most game games over the course of the night would get 10 packs from me. And two was that uh, the person who anybody who ever beat me would get would get a pack right over the course of those three hours a lot of people played mostly people were playing with their own decks because we announced it early people kind of like crafted their own decks and I gave a little like advice it's like hey you should play this you should play that um i ended up going 12 and 2 on the night so over 14 games i lost two of them i won 12 and i paid out to uh mard and and Phelanor, who are two of our friends Phelanor being on our new star wars uh in our new star wars rpg tabletop um, and then at the end of the night, I played a friend of the cast, Sarian, who he had built three decks. He had built like a Murloc Paladin, or he built a Murloc Shaman, a Librum Paladin, um, and maybe a Tempo Demon Hunter. I actually don't remember what his third deck was. I think it was Demon Hunter. Um, and we played in the esports format, right? Like Conquest. Conquest is. I like we each play decks until one player wins on each of their three decks. So if you lose on a deck, you can requeue that deck. But if I win on that deck, I can't requeue it essentially. Um, which turned out to be tons of fun because the mechanics of you know like having to play into the different like matchups or whatever uh, was just like really interesting and really you know like really compelling. Um, I feel like this is probably the best Hearthstone meta I have seen in a long time. Uh, and I've, I've had good metas before, but, like, this one has really taken the cake for kind of, like, interesting decisions and complexity. Something that's been talking – that people are talking about a lot in Hearthstone esports is that more misplays have been made in the Grandmasters format than kind of ever before – and how that's probably a result of the meta being that kind of, like, complex or whatever. Um, which I think is, you know, which I think is really interesting. Uh, I ended my season in Diamond. Uh, so I'm a Diamond Hearthstone player after playing 79 games of my Quest Warrior over the course of, over the, course of the month. Wow, Jesus Christ. And now that I'm, like, looking at this, uh, I have 50 wins and 19 losses for a 72% win rate, wherein my final climb to diamond was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 wins in a row. Uh, so, yeah. That's my that's my Hearthstone update. I don't know. There's nothing else, really, besides that. It's cool. It's fun. Hearthstone. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, on my side of things, game-wise... Uh, the biggest thing I did besides play a bunch of Call of Duty because I was bored uh, was um, I started playing Divinity Original Sin 2 with friends of the cast, Monik and X. You were supposed to come too, buddy, but then, like, you had to download the game or something. Yeah, I bought um, it, but then I had to download the game for, like, three hours. Yeah. So um, we haven't played a ton of it yet, but, like, we're going through this campaign and, like, Basically, we were like we just like try and get someone to slot in for the fourth player. Like the last time we played, we got friend of the cast Abu Gaber to to join in, and uh, like basically we have we each have our own character, and then the Red Prince is whoever is jumping in. Um, and uh, it's not perfect as a multiplayer game, but it is fun. Um, so you know that's that's I guess what it is, right? It's it's, it's a it's a good time. I look forward to kind of like 
delving into it deeper. Um, I think it is one of the uh, one of the kind of best representations of the tabletop experience in a in video game form. Um, it's not perfect, obviously, but I think it, it really kind of gets to it. Um, although it does show you some things, right? Like um, the amount of times that like some of the more gamery people are like, well, why don't we just like murder this person, right? Like it's like uh, because you don't – that's not like how a person would behave. Like, yeah, it's fine. And then they go and kill someone. Um, <laughs> it, feels very, it feels very murder, murder hobo-y to me. It's also, it's also neat because like, you know, Things don't like like the the combat engine is super complex, which is a, which is a thing that I think is really neat, right? Like a lot of a lot of like um, table te- like tabletop game kind of like coolness comes from like the breadth of action you can take, right? Like you can do basically whatever you want, and the GM's kind of like this loose form adjudicant of how like that all plays out, right? Um, and so like. A lot of the like a lot of the more complicated stuff is like a player describing, well, could I do this? And the GM saying, sure, go for it. And then GM coming up on the fly as to like what that means for the combat. Um, whereas on the other side, right, or like on, on this game side, right, like you can't really do that. So they they kind of like boost that by like making the combat engine much more complex. The thing you can't do in the tabletop game because in the t- in, in a tabletop game you have to have the math be like relatively easy so that you do not bog down like you know like slapping calculators to figure out what's happening um so i think that's like actually a a very powerful tool i like you know this is this is this is a little bit kind of off topic but i think that's like one of the next big things for like tabletop gaming in the future is like some sort of hybrid game that like lets you do a lot of the combat stuff in like a in like a simulation thing right like maybe not necessarily digital but like um, essentially you can press a couple buttons and have it like resolve the more complicated combat. So you can build up the complexity in combat, um, while still maintaining kind of like the, the benefits that playing, uh, purely on tabletop gives you, which is kind of like the very freeform experience. Yeah. Um, I've always, uh, I've always wanted something like that to exist. Like imagine a world, right? Like, I mean, we, I, I've executed this in a certain sense on a Minecraft server in my life, um, but it's probably the only place I've ever really seen it where like you can spawn enemies, right? Like you can, you can kind of, uh, as like a GM player, right? You can kind of tailor the experience and you are still the NPCs and the law and like the source of lore and everything like that. Um, but like when it comes to, you know, spawning guys, I guess, uh, that is something that you can kind of farm out to the computer a little bit. Uh, definitely something that i think would be neat and interesting yeah and, and I, I think you still want it a little bit more physical a little bit less digital than divinity 2 because you still like i think the like you know the kind of fantasy land ideal version of the system is you still have like the full ability for a player to be like well can i like try and knock over the tree um and the gm says absolutely go for it right um mm-hmm. and that's a thing that i think is a little bit too complex uh for like a normal game to handle maybe we'll get there right like you know like game with full physics or whatever um, but, uh, uh, but you know, this is, this is just like a, a thing I've had in my head for a while. It's like, could you like, you know, build a game map with like, I don't know, like, uh, like the, 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 um, like the, the near field chips, um, the NFC chips, like that's what they're called near field chips, I think. Uh, and like inside the board, like you have pieces with other responders in them and maybe you can make something work that way. But that's, that's neither here nor there. This, this is, this is, uh, this has been a thing that's been running around my head. That's all. Um. Otherwise, 
uh, I've been I so I, I went back to New Jersey for uh, a little while uh, to visit my parents, and so I didn't play a lot of games while I was there. But I did watch um, a couple of a handful of movies. I watched uh, a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more, which are the first two of the three um, Men with No Name trilogy, um, and I thought they were um, I thought they were interesting. Uh, it's kind of like a piece of cinematic history. Um, Fistful of Dollars is a uh, unauthorized uh, remake, which is the language I think the Wikipedia article uses, of Yojimbo, a Kurosawa film, like many of the spaghetti westerns as a ripoff of, uh, of the Kurosawa films. And as a result, A Fistful of Dollars like feels kind of, in- I think it's as a result, feels kind of incoherent um, in that like the story is basically legible, but there are things that just kind of don't make sense. And I found that too when I watched the first, the original Magnificent Seven compared to The Seven Samurai, which is like there are some scenes that are ripped straight up, but some things that just like don't make sense in the translation. I haven't watched Yojimbo yet, but I want to because I I assume the storytelling is better in uh, Yojimbo just because uh, that was the case with Seven Samurai, um, and that like uh, and, and so like in an attempt to just kind of like recreate this thing, like recreate the samurai as. Um, as cowboys, uh, you get some kind of like missteps. Uh, a few dollars more was one a lot better, and two like also like you could tell that they had like a lot more production budget um, to kind of like build it up. So it was it was it was a lot more enjoyable. Um, I think it's like you know it proves that like you know like Sergio Leone could stand on his own if given the opportunity. Which I don't know. I don't know like if it was his decision to steal to to basically steal the ideas or. If it was a thing that got passed down to him, but like when when he did do it on on his own, it seemed to work. So you know, kudos to him for that. Um, uh, uh, there was this other thing that I, I was just kind of musing on, which is like, you know, a lot of our kind of like romanticization of the old West, I think, comes from these spaghetti westerns, which is based on like you know, uh, which which wasn't really real, right? The 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 old West was kind of dirty, but I I'm like it seems to me at least that this this romanticization is based on i guess like a translation of bushido into the old west and the thing that's funny about that is that bushido wasn't actually really real that was like a further like you know a further forward romanticization by later periods of the way the samurais were um which and i don't quote me on this but i think might have also been inspired by like chivalry being like a romanticized version of the of the european knights so you know it's just like fucking turtles all the way down yeah. Um, which is kind of like a fascinating thing to see, right? Like, you know, all like the mythologizing of, of, of the past into like cleaner, cleaner versions. I don't know. Yeah. I just thought that was fascinating. No, I, I super get that. I mean, I've always obviously like loved the, the samurai and cowboy kind of as like interchangeable archetypes. Um, and I think they blend together really well. And most other people, like th- that is a common, feeling i guess among people is that like you know samurai and cowboys are more or less the same thing and they are both equally cool <laughs> you know what i mean like um, yeah you, you even so far as like you know when yasuo launched he had that high noon skin right uh it's just like it's a really it's a really easy thing to kind of like cross pollinate yeah i mean there, you know, there's the, uh there's a, a Jackie Chum, Jackie Chan film called Shanghai Noon. Oh yeah, is... yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that film. Yeah, and obviously, you know, like Westworld goes to Shogun World in the in the second season or whatever. 
uh it's the same it's the same sort of thing i guess um yeah so interestingly completely off topic by the way but another thing that we did which was last so two fridays ago we had our sort of hearthstone tournament last friday we continued this sort of exploration of other blizzard games uh among like me and my wow friends and we all played uh overwatch for probably the first time in two or three years for me um i remember playing a little bit around i remember anna launching and i remember i've I've seen like orissa and like i've seen doomfist but like they're just like these other characters now who are like out and doing things um and uh and we played in houses in the very classic in-house way where you become a captain and you assign and you like you pick your team um and uh it was a little biased in a way because most of us hadn't played in a very long time but two of us have like played really actively one of our friends is on kind of an amateur pro team and the other one is just like a diamond he's a he's an overwatch streamer like a low-level overwatch streamer but he he plays in diamond um and basically he won every game uh except for one or maybe two where we like we we took games off of him or whatever and so it was kind of one of those situations where it's just like can we you know, is he going to hard carry or can, like, the rest of us kind of over overcome it? Uh, which really made me remember, God, I really enjoy Overwatch. Like, what a fun game Overwatch is. When it's, like, good, I guess. Um, there's a bunch of new maps in the game now that I had, like, never seen before. Uh, like, Havana and um, Blizzard World is a particularly good one. That's like a Disneyland version of like blizzard properties like you spawn in the hearthstone tavern um and there's like a snack booth and it's called snacks ramus uh it's just it's just like full of good stuff like that uh but i was just like really surprised at how kind of overwatch has has grown over time in the same way it has a very similar trajectory towards league it feels like like one of the new things is that um when you queue you do a roll queue sort of like how league does it but uh it's two tanks two supports two dps and apparently there are like different classes even inside of that like one person will be your quote-unquote main tank who typically has a barrier right like reinhardt then you'll have an off tank who has like defensive capabilities but like is more there to like fuck shit up so like diva um or roadhog roadhog are good examples of this um, then you you have hit scan and projectile DPS. So like obviously Widowmaker would be like hit scan DPS, but uh, Hanzo would be projectile DPS. And I never quite understood why you want both of those, but apparently you do. Um, and then you have your sort of like main healer, sort of like Mercy or like Lucio or someone, and you're kind of like off support who will typically do like other things that are useful that aren't necessarily healing. Um, so for instance, uh, in the way that, well, who are the base healers? Like Zenyatta will do this where you can like debuff people. Right. Um, and I was just like really weird coming back to a bunch of heroes have gotten reworks. Like, uh, uh, God, what was his name? I just said it. Hanzo is completely different. Like he has, oh, really? he doesn't have, yeah, he doesn't have scatter arrow anymore. He has this like special machine gun mode that basically turns his bows and arrows into, into a hit scan weapon. Like not technically, but basically, cause he'll just like go like pop, 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 pop really fast. Um, and that's like on a cooldown or whatever. Uh, and then there's all these new characters like Ash. Everybody wanted to play Ash, who is like the, the, 
she's like a hit scan DPS, but with like a Winchester rifle rather than uh, like a six shooter like McCree. Um, and I think she just has like a really cool, fun kit. Part of her thing is that she'll throw dynamite and then she can shoot the dynamite and explode it for like a bunch of damage or whatever. Um, and it was just really neat going back to Overwatch after, you know, two years of not really playing it and, uh, and seeing what it was it's like seeing what it was like and how it had kind of like changed and developed um and it's made me want to like get back into it and be like well let's like actually like play some but then i played some the next day and i just lost i just lost every fucking game i was so bad um i think probably because like the game remembers me as being fairly good you know from when we were all playing or whatever and uh and hasn't caught up to the fact that i'm not good anymore yeah um i also like my my impression, at least from like the things I have seen, is that like one there's some like community issues, right? Like I follow an Overwatch memes account on Twitter, and most of the things there are like you know like when the healers are both like not like real healers, and there's no barrier tank or whatever, right? Like you know, um, you know people are gonna kind of do what they want to do in the public. You know, I think the other thing too is is that um, maybe like playing a thousand games like it's fun when you play like once in a while but like if you're playing a thousand games straight maybe it falls off kind of like what happened with league uh with us after a while right there's only so much you can take of this of of the same kind of i think these games are naturally very frustrating to play this is my this sort of my hot take in a way that certain other games don't uh like don't hit you when you have a so compared to something like hearthstone um, like I legitimately ground my way into diamond, right? That was a, it was a goal I set for myself and I sat down and I did it right. Um, and it's just you versus another person. There is nobody to blame except for you and your like skills and decision-making, right? There are going to be games like variance is a thing. There are games that I legitimately lost to RNG. I had a particularly brutal loss to a warlock where, um, he used a card that drew him a card, and that card cost zero, uh, which is like if you complete the warlock quest, you can do that thing. And he just happened to have he happened to hit Maligos with it, Maligos increasing your spell damage by plus five. So he basically one hundred to zeroed me with this zero mana Maligos into Soul Fire, Soul Fire, Reign of whatever, just like a bunch of direct damage spells, and like there's you know. There's nothing I could have done about that, yeah, right? Just he luck. just happened to hit Maligos in the deck. The deck is – it's not like a uh, – it, you know, you can't reliably hit Maligos with that kind of a, uh, an effect, obviously. Um, but so, you know, like sometimes you just have to take that one on the, on the chin. But I had some very legitimate misplays where, like, there were games where I was playing too cautiously or I was playing too aggressively and I got punished – uh, you know, like I, I didn't have a good sense of what my opponents were doing and I got punished, right? Like that kind of stuff happens and it makes you a better player. And that's the, the like the, uh, this is the upside of playing these kind of like competitive ranked experiences, right? After having played 80 games of pirate quest warrior, I have an incredibly good understanding of what my matchup is going to look like walking into any anything, right? If I walk into Demon Hunter, I need to know I have a I have a priority list for what are my good cards, what are my bad cards, what are the kinds of threats that I'm trying to develop, what are the kind of, you know, situations that I want to put my opponent in, right? Like all of that kind of stuff. And that's wildly different if I'm playing a hunter, if I'm playing a, a rogue, or if I'm playing a mage or whatever. Um and that feels good. But in League, whenever I was trying to do these same kinds of climbs, because you are also reliant on four other people, right, in your match, it's so, so easy to be like, well, I just lost that one because my mid lane fed, 
you know, like that wasn't on me. Yeah. Right. And that like generates this kind of like resentment and contempt for like everyone else. Right. That I think is like really shitty in a way. And I can see that that like that's a thing that could also happen when playing, you know, like Overwatch or whatever, because it's the same sort of like team based thing. But the thing that I find really interesting about it is that it feels like it is unique to PvP experiences. For instance, when we are in WoW, right? Like when we are pushing progression um, with like the raid, uh, the negativity that comes out from our raid team is a lot less than the negativity that comes out when like I'm playing League or whatever. And I think part of that is that there's like this natural instinct of humiliation to losing to another person compared to losing to a computer um that is weird like i that it's like a cycle it's like a psychological reality even though functionally i don't know these people right on the other end of the at the at the other end of the computer right i don't interact with them i don't know what they are or what they you know who they are or what they look like or what they think about any of this stuff but you sort of like presume this like shame and guilt and humiliation well, at being beaten by other people in a way that I don't by being beaten by a computer. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I so first of all, I, I mostly agree with you, but you know, there are definitely raids where people rage out, right? Like, you know, there, there, there's some very famous videos that I can link you to. If you don't remember about like 50 DKP minus. Or oh, whatever. absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. I'm talking personally, right? Like yeah. when I'm playing, when I'm playing league, with with people i will get frustrated with my teammates when i'm raiding with my friends i don't yeah so i think part of this too is that like you know the people on the other end of the league game are using the exact same tools that you are and they were better than you right like with a pve opponent they don't play by the same rules right like and you know it's designed to be beaten right and like if you don't get there it's just a matter of like you know it's, it's a matter of getting there uh-huh. Right, like when you're playing against another player, like one you can't try, right? Like you know, like you can't rematch, right? Like this, this is a, this is a thing in uh, in fighting games, right? Like getting a run back is what it's called when you like rematch someone. Um, let's be like, you know, like that one wasn't that one wasn't wasn't my 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 performance, right? Like you know, my look, give me a run back so I can prove to you that I'm not as terrible as I seem, and then you uh-huh. lose again and you feel worse. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but like. It's kind of like you're explicitly, you know, like you are going into it. And it's not only that, like, it's I'm not good enough. And the other player was good enough, right? Like they didn't do anything like they didn't get like, you know, like the computer in some sense cheats, right? Like and and see if we talk about the computer cheating because they're supposed to be playing by the same rules, but they don't. Um, But like the computer does what it does on its own rule set. So like. Your failure to overcome that, I think, is just kind of like a less – it's it's less stinging because it's not like they're playing under the same restri- – it's not like, you know, uh, the raid bosses are playing under the same restrictions that you are, right? Like you – you it's an asymmetric thing is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Whereas because multiplayer is symmetric, um, you you have been, like, made the other side's bitch, essentially, um, because they because they use the same tools that you had access to and, and, and defeated you. So interestingly, um, I felt that about Overwatch because, like, all characters are definitionally like the same if you presume a balanced game or whatever, right? Like, there's nothing where so something that'll happen in League of Legends is like, okay, your top laner feeds and then the the enemy top lane has a gazillion gold and they just snowball the game from there or whatever, which doesn't feel like in that sort of equal way. Whereas if we wipe in a team fight in Overwatch, 
nobody is going back to base and cashing that in for more DPS. Do you know what I mean? Like, they are so fundamentally the same characters doing the same right. damage that they were in the previous team fight, which for some reason feels like weirdly more surmountable than league where like if an opponent gets a league uh, like a lead they have that opportunity to kind of like snowball it out of control or whatever and obviously like there are turns right and you can go back and forth or whatever um but that is a really like interesting thing that i was also sort of like feeling yeah. in the moment well it's, it's not weird right like that's that's like kind of exactly the point right like mobas kind of like have this kind of like if you win you start to win harder like like snow like snowball to a certain effect is part of the game right it's it's, it's, a, it's part of the design like if yeah. you have the Opposing scene get far, far enough ahead, they get far enough ahead. Um, but like the, it's, it's like kind of based around a different model, right? Because like, um, it's not like the like Overwatch games are typically based on like progression towards a goal, whereas like MOBAs in the classical form have exactly one goal, which is to f- kill the enemy nexus. I um, mean, you're kind of building towards that one single moment, whereas the reward for like winning a team fight in, uh in uh in uh in in overwatch rather sorry is like progression towards like like a number that ticks up towards the win right like your reward is you get x percent closer to winning um whereas in league it's you get you get you get a a growing advantage to eventually take like take the kind of like one shot advantage if that makes sense um i guess yeah I, i i see where you're coming from yeah uh Right, like specifically because you don't, like you know, Overwatch doesn't let you build more advantage, right? Like you could come up, like you know, you could turn around and like win the fight that you lost, and then like put you know make back the progress that you lost, which is like there's nothing about that that makes it harder to like you know essentially when if you the team wipes you you get a reset and it's like. You know, it's it's the same encounter again with people on equal footing. Whereas in league, you're 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 not on equal footing, as you pointed out. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if that's jumbled. That's just kind of off the top of my head, but it, but, but that does make sense to me. Um, yeah. That might be a thing to do, like talk about this kind of thing for like a whole episode at some point. Because I think no, I think yeah, that's I, kind super, of fascinating. I super feel it. Like, because it's like it's also interesting when uh, so I the, the other game I've been playing a lot of is Killing Floor Two, which is like a PVE. FPS. Um, it's a lot like Payday, uh, though it has it's a zo- it's a zombie shooting game effectively, um, and is like so. One of the things about Payday is that you don't grow over time in Payday. You start with a bunch of resources, and then you need to kind of like adjudicate them accordingly over the course of the the mission. In and not run out of ammo, right? Not run out of healing, not run out of anything else, kind of a thing. Um, and it's also very objective focused, and the objectives are constantly changing, right? Like first you need to do x then you need to break into this then you need to drill that and so you're kind of like doing different stuff on different areas of the map um what happens in killing floor is zombies just spawn right um and at the end of the match you go to a trader and you'll you'll have money to turn in to upgrade your your gear or whatever and you know by round 10 uh there's like a boss fight and you're expected to kind of have like a final build sort of thing so it's more about progression over the course of the match or whatever but one of the things that we did is we went from normal where we basically weren't losing anymore you know like we had leveled up enough so that like we had certain abilities and like talent kind of things um 
and uh, and we were like winning every match, and then we went to hard just to just to like try it. Uh, and hard was legitimately like very very hard, right? Um, but I think it was only very very hard because of the sort of experience that like we walked into it with. In the same way that like I had experiences where I was playing payday with people. Um, and they saw small incremental difficulty increases in this radically different way that I, than I did. Right. Um, where I was like, oh yeah, we can do overkill, which is like the highest difficulty. Uh, well actually death, Witch is the highest difficulty now, but at the time it was overkill. Like we can do overkill easy peasy. I'll carry you through like overkill, but like that is insurmountably hard for people who aren't familiar with the game and these may be people who've been playing the game a lot right like we have been playing killing floor you know i have over 20 hours played in killing floor over the last two weeks and that bump up too hard still felt incredibly difficult right uh and so i just think there's a lot there when it comes to kind of like that perception of uh sort of like difficulty and like the psychology of players as they enter into these sorts of situations um yeah that's it that's the tweet no, that makes sense. Um, uh, before we get out of here, do we want to talk about our last session of Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the last session of Star Wars we played, which was a little bit different because uh, for that one, I, I was like, no map. We're just going to do raw improv, essentially. Like I had a direction. I had a couple of thoughts about like plot hooks and where things were going to be going. Um, but instead of building out a map like I had done for the mission previous, uh, I was just like, let's just do this sort of map list. Uh, which I think was pretty successful. Yeah, overall. I think it worked out really well. I also think it worked out really well. The big thing that I think uh, I I feel like I still need to stat up NPCs because um, that was something where I was like, well, there are these NPCs showing up, and I was kind of like assigning things off the cuff. Uh, but like at the end of the day, there wasn't a lot of like interest or variety in like the enemies because I had mostly uh, memorized the default stormtrooper. Uh, and the default like security officer stat lines, and I was just going off those based on memory. So I feel like maybe having detailed NPCs is correct, but not detailed maps. Yeah, I I, I think I agree with that. Right, like you need you need to be able to pull up numbers to roll things off of. Um, and you know if if I might like you know this this session wasn't super combat heavy, so I don't think it was a huge deal. But I think like like maybe moving like putting like doing more individual enemies and less kind of mooks might be interesting yeah. um because like the mooks feel like very like like i don't they feel like like such fodder that it feels like we almost shouldn't be fighting them that much i, I don't know if the, the manual says anything about this but like i don't know it feels like mooks are only supposed to be there if like you also have like a couple of or a named character or a couple of named characters to to fight as well um because they just, they just feel so weak and so, like, it doesn't feel like you, you're, like, doing a lot to them, right? Like, it doesn't feel like you're, you're like, spending stuff. Also, um, I don't know. We, we need to uh, – we uh, – but, like, the, like, there was that one roll where I got, like, 15 advantages and we just kept rolling them forward, which felt weird. I mean – Yeah, that feels it like just, it's not supposed to be how that works. <laughs> yeah. I maybe it was just because I rolled, like, such, like, a weird number of advantages at that point, right? Like, I, I like – I I had I pretty well stocked that that role right like I took two true aims and I uh, and I like I don't know I guess I I also just rolled kind of lucky right like I, I think that's I think maybe that's part of it too is like there are a lot of talents on the tree that are um 
that are, you know, like, uh, uh, that are, like, remove black dice um, from certain encounters. And we really haven't run into a lot of black dice yet. Um, And I think maybe that's kind of, like, another way to do it is, like, you know, we've had a couple of fights in corridors, which is, like, not great for finding cover. But maybe that's, like, kind of a way to, like, like, make the combat more dynamic is, like, imagine that there's, like, ways for people to, like, give themselves black dice on their defense and like blue dice on their offense or something like that. Yeah. I think Um, part of this is, I think it's a little bit uh, of column a little column B. Like I think something that the game wants players to do is to take more kind of like liberties with the environment. Whereas in Pathfinder, I never as a player would like dictate something about the environment, right? Like where I would be like, you know, Oh, there just happens to be a thing here that I can take cover behind or whatever. Um, and I also think that, so I also think that it was probably not a great combat setup in general to have you guys camped in a location being hunted by a group because it kind of forced this thing where it was like, you guys just had to hunker down and blow up the wave essentially. Um, whereas I feel like combat is meant to be more, um, push and pull in the sense of like, you are you want to go you are either chasing someone down or running away in a way right uh it feels like that's kind of what combat is built for in in that system i think i agree with that i I also think that like you know it's okay for this to like for stuff like this to happen once in a while right like it just felt like a not very combat heavy episode which is fine i think that's part of what the system's designed for um you know still a lot of fun yeah i mean you guys also found a pretty I, 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 this one I liked because there were more complications. I felt like the first mission was pretty smooth. There were complications, of course, but um, but like overall, you kind of accomplished the goal without without like too much trouble. This one, there was uh, like more trouble along the way. There was like stuff you missed or didn't quite get at. Um, other avenues that you could have taken that would have been like smoother or like more straightforward or whatever else. And so it kind of felt like more authentically sort of star Wars where like things went wrong and you had to, you had to sort of deal with that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, part of this is that actually, I thought we would end up in a starship thing where like you guys would try and do a blockade run situation in the, in the job of the, the yacht. Uh, against the uh, like the capital ships, like that was something I was thinking that there was going to be a possibility. Um, you guys didn't do great on the roles, but like integrating more thoroughly into the other job was also a possibility. That I was like, I wonder if this is like a thing. Um, but like it was one of those things where you guys like rolled to convince people and didn't quite get there, and it's like, yeah. ah, well, rip. Um, so yeah, overall, I am definitely enjoying this system. Uh, I think it's very neat and really interesting. And so, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great time. I'm, uh, I'm sad we didn't get to play this week, but, uh, uh, maybe, maybe, or we didn't get to play last week, I guess. Maybe, uh, maybe next week. Yeah. Um, but we're about out of time. Uh, if, uh, you've got anything you'd like to, to email us about, to ask us questions, you can email us at uh, games at gmail.com or email at subdervesplaygames.com. Uh, you can follow, uh, you can follow us at twitch.tv slash games and follow us on Twitter and donate to us on Patreon and all that good stuff. But do you have anything you want to promote? Oh, my God. I do have something I want to promote. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be streaming 
on the Akupar channel more often because in one of our marketing meetings, we were talking about like different things to do for the stream. And I like haphazardly pitched the idea. So one of the things about, about our games like gone viral and stuff is I'm actually not very good at them. Like I have not beaten the champ in gone viral. Um, and I pitched the idea of, uh, of me almost doing a sort of like series, like a, like a TV show called buddy gets good where I'm just sitting down and playing the game and trying to be better and better. Um, and everyone was like, we should do this. So we're doing this. So this Friday, the Aquapart stream at 11 p.m. Uh, or 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, 2 p.m. Eastern is going to be the inaugural first episode of Buddy Gets Good. I'm going to take a fresh save of Gone Viral, and I'm going to do my damnedest to finally get to and defeat the champ, which I have yet to do. Um, and then, you know, play on Abacus and, you know, uh, some other stuff that has been promised uh, will be will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. So I'm very excited for that. It's something that will not be repeating weekly, but will be repeating, generally speaking, in the future. Uh, so look forward that sounds, to it. That sounds excellent. I'm very excited for the Spinch episode because I am famously bad at platformers and spinch is particularly the kind of platformer that is just like oh my god i'm, I'm actually super hyped for spinch when does that come out uh later this year we haven't announced a release date okay we're not done. sorry <laughs> in the future excellent it is uh, actually this is we're getting closer to kind of like soon tm territory uh ooh. so uh be on well, be on your toes i guess <laughs> i will i absolutely will um, well, I guess that's it then. Uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.